Welcome into the Throwback Thursday edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Got it out the way off the top, Wade. Off the rip. There we go. Um, Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, coming to you from the Lee Company studios of our respective abodes. I'm Maurice Patton. That is Wade Neely. Again, Throwback Thursday. Um, later in the show, we will be revisiting a segment that has previously appeared on the show that we enjoyed and hope you will too. We'll talk more about that later on. Right now, I'm back from an excused absence, or at least I think it was excused. I hope it was because it was work-related. So, um, Wade, how did you and Yao hold things down yesterday? Well, you know, we did the best we could, and uh, we we gave you a, a tip of the cap for, for heading off and heading out east uh, on prep duties last night. But, yeah, it was a fun show yesterday. It was wild. It was wacky. That uh, That is confirmed. And so uh, it was kind of fitting that Yao was uh, was able to fill in on on such an occasion. But yeah, we got through it and had a had a good show. But looking forward to a good one today as well. Well, I would I would expect nothing less than wild and wacky anytime Yao is on, but particularly on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, it, like you said, pretty fitting. Again, good show today. Um, we will be visiting here in the second hour with. CBS Sports Bracketologist Jerry Palm to see what this week's college basketball results have done to his projected NCAA tournament bracket. Um, We will also be checking in in the next segment with um, a neighbor of Wade's, Richland Girls Basketball Coach Chad Hall will be joining us on Coach's Corner. We'll also be giving out some hardware. Our team and player weekly awards we will be um, presenting in the next segment, so so stick around for that. Preps to pros. We'll be talking a little high school basketball, a little high school wrestling here coming up. And at the top of the 3 o'clock hour, we will be joined again by Terry McCormick, the Titan Insider, with the top of the hour Titans report. So stay tuned for that as well. So, yeah, we, we got a lot going on. Um, no rest for the weary. So, no um, busy busy time of the year, and uh, like you said, we got a lot going on on a big show on Thursday, and that's going to carry us right into what's going to be a big weekend. Obviously, absolutely, uh, uh, it's that time of year. So, let's jump into yesterday's results and today's scores. I'm sorry, today's schedule on the rundown. This is the rundown. Wednesday night high school basketball action. As we mentioned, Columbia Academy went down to Chattanooga, picked up a 49-46 victory over Notre Dame in Division II postseason play. Also, Good Pasture went down to Chattanooga and got a 51-50 win over Boyd Buchanan in Division II AA action. Knoxville Catholic finally slowed Christ Presbyterian Academy 81-73 and Memphis University School with a 54-43 win over Ensworth. In men's college basketball, Middle Tennessee State went south looking for a regular season sweep of Jacksonville State, did not get it. The Gamecocks with a 76-68 win over the Blue Raiders there. Drake defeated Belmont 84-69. It was Georgia in Southeastern Conference play defeating Vanderbilt 
76-64. In women's basketball action, the Lady Raiders salvaged some Blue Raider pride with a 66-40 win at the Glass House over Jacksonville State. Yeah, wanted them both, but we'll take the split, I suppose, uh, versus JSU there. To the schedule we go. Uh, games on tap for tonight. High school, fingers crossed, knock on wood, unless we're missing something. High school is going to have the night off, but don't worry, folks. They're back on Friday. They're back on Saturday. Uh, a bevy of games coming your way. So with that being said, college basketball, these are double headers tonight. Trevecca and Walsh will tip it off. Trevecca is at Walsh beginning at 4.30. Eastern Illinois will visit Tennessee State. That tip-off is set for 5 o'clock. Tougaloo out of Mississippi will travel to Fisk for a 5.30 p.m. doubleheader. The University of Cumberland's up there in Williamsburg, Kentucky, will travel mm -hmm. to Cumberland here in Lebanon, Tennessee. That tip-off is set Four five thirty standalone women's basketball games tonight. Central Arkansas will visit Austin P. Uh, all of these coming your way at six p.m. North Alabama will visit Lipscomb. Belmont will be at Valparaiso, and again, all of those coming your way at six p.m. And a late night affair on the ice tonight as the Preds will travel uh, yet again, continuing their swing. They are on the road at the Kings tonight. That game can be seen on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Puck drop, Mo. You got to stay up late for this one. It starts at nine thirty. Take a nap. Uh, yeah, late night if you're a Preds fan tonight. No doubt. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your rundown. Top story brought to you as always by Piggly Wiggly in Neely's Mill in Columbia. Be sure and get through there for their delicious daily deli lunch options as well as hand cut meats. And everything is cost plus 10% at the register. So again, Piggly Wiggly in Neely's Mill in Columbia, your top story sponsor. And we started off with this week's Tennessee Sports Writers Association's Players of the Week. And, you know, it's been a little slow the last few weeks because it's only been men's and women's basketball. Weight is picking up this week. Um, oh, yeah. Big, we big slate. Yeah, we will start with men's and women's basketball, though. And stop me if you've heard this. Justin Porter of Middle Tennessee State with a big game over the weekend. Um, 41 points against Texas El Paso, another 26 against New Mexico State, and that earned him, among other awards, the TSWA Men's Basketball Player of the Week honors. Um, on the women's side, Fisk's Maya Buchanan. And if you've not heard this name, you, you've, you should have. This young lady scored 37 points down in New Orleans against Dillard, but she was just getting warmed up. Mm. Um, against Southern New Orleans, she went for 60. 24 of 38 from the floor, 12 of 16 from the line, 60 points for Maya Buchanan from Fisk University, the Tennessee Sports Writers Association's Women's Basketball Player of the Week, and understandably so. Um, baseball, Austin P. Jr. outfielder John Bay had eight hits in a three-game series against Western Illinois, and seven of those went for extra bases. Um, five doubles, two home runs, six ribs. For the weekend, he reached base in 10 of 15 plate appearances. It's not a bad way to open the year. Mm -hmm. John Bay from Austin P. your baseball player of the week. On the mound, 
Tennessee Tech's Peyton Kalitri had a 0.00 earned run average, went seven innings without an earned run as Tennessee Tech defeated Bellman 5-1. He gave up one earned run, one unearned run in the seventh inning. Four hits, a walk, um, struck out four in the win. So again, John John Bay of Austin P, Peyton Kalitri of Tennessee Tech are our Tennessee Sports Writers Association's player and pitcher of the week in baseball. In softball, Chad Nuga's Olivia Lapari, seven of eleven in five wins for the mocks. Um, seven of eleven with a double, a pair of home runs, six RBI, and four walks. So Big weekend for Miss Lapari. Ashland Sensing, a junior pitcher at Treveca, pitched 14 innings, struck out 24, mm. allowing nine hits and one earned run and no walks. That's solid. Um, five hits, 13 strikeouts, and a complete game victory over Purdue Northwest. Lost one nothing to Drury, but went all seven with one run. Struck out 11, gave up four hits. So, again, Olivia Lapari of Chattanooga, Ashland Sensing of Trevecca, our softball player and pitcher of the week from the Tennessee Sports Writers Association. So, congratulations to all of the honorees there. Um, again, great start to the season in baseball. And what is it, week two now? I guess we're into week three of the softball season. So, yeah, they are uh, they are rolling right along. And you mentioned uh, Buckhannon for Fisk, and I'm pulling up some numbers here, and my computer literally just about exploded. You mentioned 60 plus, uh, the NAI single game record of 62 back in '88. The second previous high was set in '93. That was 60 uh, flat. But I found it interesting, Mo. The most points ever scored in a game, uh, male or female, and this was, uh, you know, back in 1954, of course, as a lot of folks remember, Clarence Bevo Francis had 113, but beyond him, the next highest came in 94, and it was only 64 points. So she was just a couple of points away from the second highest scoring male or female of all time. And the first one is one that, you know, came back in a bygone era and will never be touched again. So no, unreal I, I, numbers. I don't think anybody's going to score 113. That one's kind of up there by itself. I think seems, yes, seems, that, seems fairly safe and not just that, but yeah, on the road as well, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. You, you got to think it was a little bit of a hostile environment, but apparently she didn't care. So that's, that's one of those games you really kind of wish you had an opportunity to see. 60 points. That's, that's, oh, kind of indescribable. You know what else is indescribable, Wade? Mm -hmm. This Monday night brawl that we talked about earlier in the week between Texas A&M Commerce and Incarnate Word. Um, the Southland Conference has spoken. Four players from each team have been suspended starting immediately so so there were no options given for spreading it out or anything like that um mm -hmm. i think four guys got three games three got two games and one got a single game suspension um for 
flagrant unsportsmanlike actions at the end of that 76-72 commerce win between the two last place teams in the Southland. So I guess frustrations kind of boiled over a little bit. Yeah, and we broke down uh, That's as close as I'll get to uh, offering play-by-play of a boxing or mixed martial arts, I guess, at this point in my career. But we kind of went through the nitty-gritty of it on Monday, and it was it was pretty rough. And, and honestly, given uh, the nature of how sprawling it was, I'm kind of surprised uh, that these suspensions maybe weren't a little bit longer. I guess they did, however, kind of grade. Uh, I'd be real curious, you know, how, how did they grade this? Was it uh, – Kind of like to continue with boxing, you know, do they go by punches landed? Uh, was it a percentage? I think uh, it's got to be to some de- Well, I mean, I don't know. It's not about coming off the bench because it wasn't a live game situation. I don't how hard you had to work to get involved in it. I don't I don't know. That's it's and, you know, with no knowledge of who's who in any of these games. It's mm-hmm. so but from commerce again. Jerome Brewer Jr. and Abraham and Kuo Agwa drew three game suspensions and Prince Davies got one game. For Incarnate Word, Elijah Davis got three games. Alex Anderson, Gabe Benny Till, and Marcus Glover got two games each. So again, these are to start immediately. Um, Commerce plays Saturday against Nickel State and Incarnate Word faces McNeese State. Southland leader McNeese State. So, oof. Yeah. So, uh, I think things are going to get a whole lot better for either of these teams over the weekend. No. And, uh, yeah, you could not have, have picked kind of a worse time, uh, between two of these unfortunate kind of bottom dwellers in the Southland Conference. And luckily, um, you know, we'd broken it down on Monday too. that one of the broadcast uh, members had announced that uh, a manager's face had blood on it. And there was a young girl in the crowd that was hurt during all this. So honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it could have been a lot worse. Um, it feels like they got off a little light with only four players on each team getting suspended and for no more than three games. That feels kind of light, but also, yeah, just the ramifications alone uh, could have been really, really ugly. And so uh, hopefully these teams can kind of put that behind them and try and finish out the season. Like I said, I I wouldn't have been shocked if they had given out suspensions uh, for five or six games, which essentially would have been the rest of the season uh, for for most of these teams, unless they make a run, obviously, in the tournament. But it seems like they kind of just wanted to make sure, if nothing else, they got it out of the way early. And like you said, there was no real wiggle room, no appeal process, none of that. They just took it and moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is good to, good to know that they did just take it and move on. I mean, it's, it's tough to look at that and say, wait a minute, what did we do? So, you know, (laughs) it is what it is, but there's, um, there's that. And again, those are your top stories for today brought to you by Piggly Wiggly out in Neely's Mill here in Columbia. So when we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, we will be joined on Coach's Corner by Richland girls coach Chad Hall. His Lady Raiders are heading into region tournament play on a bit of a roll. We'll talk about it 
when we come back to the Lee Company Studios after this. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. We thrive under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville.
Welcome back to Throwback Thursday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. That's Wade Neely. I'm Maurice Patton, and it is now time for Coach's Corner, as we will be visiting with Richland girls basketball coach Chad Hall. And as we mentioned, um, going out of that last segment, the Lady Raiders are rolling. Um, 22-5 and five on the year, and I think they've won what? 10 straight is that right chad uh you're gonna have some ask, ask somebody else that uh question <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we're only concerned we're going one and oh right <laughs> that's correct one and oh and on to the next that's uh that's exactly there we go. the way we try to approach it yes sir pulling the james franklin on us but chad we appreciate you <laughs> taking some time with us man and obviously um been a great season but far from done right Yes, sir. You know, you don't, uh, I don't anyway, measure our season necessarily by number of wins. It, it's it's about uh, getting the kids to the right spot, reaching our ceiling. And we've been trying to talk about that since October, November, you know, getting to our ceiling. Uh, we, we realize that we have some limits, but we also realize we have some very bright spots. And so we try to, you know, bring those out each and every night. So it, it isn't about how many we won. It's about where we, where we get to. Okay. That said, how do you feel about, where you've gotten to relative to what you think your ceiling is? Well, I, I feel like we've done done pretty close to what uh, we expected. I, I do think in that 22-5 and five record that we could very easily be 24-3. and three. Uh, The last two games that we lost, uh, it was back-to-back days at that Clay County Classic that we had. And really, in my mind, we should have won both of those games. Um, had an unfortunate injury um, to, to our sophomore first starter off the bench, first player off the bench. Um, and so we lost her for the season and we brought in another young lady who had limited playing time up to that point. And she'd done a really great, really, really good job, uh, filling in, but uh, she just wasn't quite ready for that atmosphere and lost a, lost a Macon County. Um, anyway, uh, it is what it is. We feel like we, we really could have won two more at least uh, of those 27 games that we've played already. But, uh, you know, we're blessed that we're here and we're trying to make the most of our opportunity. Yeah, Coach, as you kind of uh, have dove into the second half of the season and you mentioned uh, a key injury there, uh, I believe, to Mary Avery McNeese. And kind of when that injury occurs, you could see the Lady Raiders kind of wobbling a little bit in, from where they were. Yeah. But it seems like now you guys have found this new groove. Um, kind of walk us through that process as your team has had to rally behind a key injury to one of your top scores. Well, I mean, to be honest, we really felt like Mary Avery would probably come on late in the season and maybe be, be a starter for us. Um, we like the starters that we've got, don't get me wrong. We just felt like that for the best of our team, she probably was going to be that person. Unfortunately, you know, it wasn't in the cards. Uh, that's, that's her third ACL, two on her right, and now this one on her left as only a sophomore. And, uh, it, you know, it was an injury that, that occurred in nothing. But she was averaging about seven points and about five rebounds per game for us off the bench. Um, you know, just coming in with a lot of energy, a lot of spark, very athletic kid, um, probably our fastest, if not be, be our second fastest kid in, on our whole roster and was bringing a, a tremendous amount. And then so we, we make some adjustments, feel like we're, we're thriving. And then we, you know, uh, uh, Bailey Hollis has a freak uh, cut on her hand during the, the snow, snow day weather day they're putting together a uh, a piece of furniture and she's cutting a zip tie and i mean just a just a massive gash in her hand and she's probably 10 more weeks before she's recovered from therapy in that situation so we still hadn't 
you know, very athletic kid, very athletic kid. Uh, so we've, we've, we're two numbers short, but we, we're still trying to do our best. And, you know, uh, practice was crazy for a little bit, but we've got some eighth graders now that's helping us. And they've even helped us in the game a time or two. Yeah, and as you guys have kind of uh, grown through this, it certainly helps when you have two uh, now veteran leaders, even though they're both underclassmen, um, in terms of Shelby Higgins, a junior, and Bailey Blair, a sophomore, who really, for those that have not seen her play, she's a sophomore, yes, but it seems like she's really grown and almost, uh, in terms of experience, feels like a junior, even a senior, perhaps. Right. Well, she you know she got some high-quality minutes as an eighth grader because of the uh, – uh, an injury that, that occurred at that time. We, you know, we wasn't sure if she was ready that year, but she came in, made all district tournament, you know, as an eighth grader in a very, very uh, crucial role for us, but at the same time, one she wasn't expecting. Um, and, and so I don't want to go any further without saying, you know, our true leader on this team is Caitlin Bass. Mm -hmm. um, Caitlin is our, she's our everything really. I mean, you, you look at her points and her stats, and she's not filling up that board, but she's our dog, no doubt. She brings the energy every night. Uh, you know, she's one that makes me most frustrated as well when she gets in foul trouble. But uh, Caitlin is really our vocal and our and our spark plug. Where uh, Shelby and Bla Bailey are really our skill guys, and, and they 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 take care of a lot of points, take care of a lot of free throws, take care of a lot of uh, you know just the things that 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 you see. But uh, but Caitlin Bass handles so much of the other stuff where, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, you know, she's such a big part for us. And, uh, you know, don't don't leave out our two seniors who have played their role tremendously this year. That'd be Danica Bridgers and, and Allocate Hewitt. They've tremendously played their role each and every night. And they've got very, very, very little stats uh, in, in that frame. Chad Hall, Richland Girls Basketball Coach, joining us here on Coach's Corner. Chad, Danica Bridgers is as good a passer as uh -huh. I've seen. Yeah, hey, especially especially from the position that she plays, without a doubt. Uh, Danica has really, really passed the ball well. You know, and uh, what goes unnoticed a lot of times is that she's, she's devoted um, so much attention to the other team's best player or second player, and if it's not the best player as the game starts, before the game ends, she's usually with that best player. Um, and she continues continues to get better at that role. And, uh, you know, everybody walks in gym and says, man, how big is that kid? You know, I'll tell them, I said, but she don't play that size. She doesn't. She doesn't play her size. But, she, man, she plays such a role for us and uh, really passes the ball, distributes it so well. Um, you know, very limited turnovers for us this year as well. And you got to have players like that who aren't necessarily concerned with – scoring the basketball as they like to say but um you, you got to have folks that are just willing to kind of fill in the gaps and and do what has to be done right right absolutely you know i, I if you know have, if everybody had their drathers you know she probably would love to be a scorer but uh, what fits our team and i and i'm i'm so thankful that kids bind our, the roles that we try to give them that that she's accepted it and she's and not only accepted but excelled at it and continues to enjoy the things, and she was rewarded for having a you know all tournament selection last week. Uh, played a phenomenal game against Santa Fe, um, and so it's, it's just a uh, it, it just means so much that kids that are accepting their roles and they're playing them each and every day. Again, Richland twenty two and five on the year, ten straight, fifteen of their last sixteen. Heading into tomorrow night's Region Five One A quarterfinal matchup against visiting Fayetteville. Um, Chad, what do you feel like you guys have to do to continue down this postseason path? 
Well, for sure, we have to we have to continue to defend at a high level, and I think we've really done that through district play. Um, you know, we don't we don't beat Loretto here on our home floor without a high level um, uh, defensive effort, and we probably lose that game in the championship uh, of the 10A tournament the other night if we don't really turn our screws down in the fourth quarter. Uh, they had us on the on our heels and uh, got a few uh, got a few defensive stops and we're able to get buckets on top of that. You know, got to handle first things first. I have not looked at anybody else's film other than Fayetteville, um, you know, because you have to handle first things. I know they're in a, in a in kind of a lower situation right now because one of their best players decided to leave the team. But, uh, you know, they're they're full of athletes on that team. We'll have to defend. We'll have to rebound. And then, you know, every night you got to make shots in order to, to, to win games. But – um, we feel like if we start with defense and rebounding, those other things will probably take care of themselves most nights. And so that's what we're that's what we're trying to hang our hats on right now. Coach, I got to ask you. You guys are playing back at home, uh, obviously for the first round of the region and potentially, you know, beyond. Right. Uh, what's it been like? We've seen Richland really kind of flourish at home the last couple of seasons, both boys and girls. How unique of an environment? Uh, is it when you guys play inside Dwight Clark, and uh, what will that potentially uh, add to you guys' efforts on Friday? Well, you, you might need to ask, you know, our opponents exactly what that means, but we we feel a different energy here. You know, we we travel well with our with our fan base. Um, our kids show up, of course, much better here, but we feel like we're going to have a great crowd. Uh, we, you know, everybody shoots the ball better on their home rims, no matter who it is. Um, you know, we've got a unique in, uh, situation where we've got an end zone on one end, and I think that does create some issues in the first half for visiting teams. So, you know, we're we're doing, uh, you know, we're we're in a good situation. You got to handle one piece at a time, and uh, we feel like playing in the home court here, uh, only losing to you know Waynesboro here uh, right after Christmas is is probably, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, right before Christmas, but you know we've we've got some advantage here. Yes. Playing, playing back at home, and uh, we know that the crowd will be great. Uh, uh, sure. Coach, we won't go into the origin story, but I lovingly refer to you as the Chadillac, <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that the Main Street uh, Nation was aware of that. And uh, I'm unfortunately going to be on assignment over at Summertown Friday, but I will be tuned Ooh. in tomorrow. Yeah, I'll be tuned in to Mark and Jennifer, though, and I'm, <laughs> I'm list, uh, looking forward to listening to a good game between you guys tomorrow night. Uh, I hope we make it less interesting than it needs to be. I'm just going to say it that way. Uh, no, no disrespect to anybody, but I hope we come out of the gates and handle our business. And uh, you know, uh, no need for excitement. Uh, you know, I give plenty uh, on a on a dull night anyway. But uh, you know, um, I'm not even sure, by the way, Wade, where the Chadillac came from, except for you. You you called it that. Uh, you don't have to tell that story because it might mean something that I'm not aware of. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> it comes um, from a place of love, Coach. I guarantee you that. Okay. Trust, well, trust I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We appreciate all you guys have done for us and and, and continue to do for us. And uh, you know, we we any any shout outs we can get, we sure appreciate. Richland girls basketball coach Chad Hall wants a good game, but not too good tomorrow night <laughs> when Fayetteville shows up at Dwight Clark Gymnasium in the Region Five One A girls tournament quarterfinals chad we appreciate your time man good luck tomorrow night thanks to both you guys thanks to mainstream media thanks to everybody that uh you know our fan base that continues to come out and uh, you know thank you good lord for just the opportunity to do what we love thank we'll you, talk coach. to you soon coach thank you all righty
as we continue through our segment here following up on Coach's Corner, we've got a little hardware to give away. Our um, Custom Stone Handlers Team of the Week is the Independence Boys Basketball Team. Won three games last week, including a third victory over is Crosstown Rival Summit? Is that the way you is that the proper term there? I mean, I, th- yeah, I, I'll say we let that ride. That works for South, me. South Williamson County rival. Son. There we go. A little narrower, yeah, I um, suppose. Picked up a third victory over them. In fact, a third victory in four games because of the snow schedule that some some things got reconfigured and they wound up playing Summit like three times in eight days, I think, and won all three of them. But they also defeated Nolansville to close the regular season and picked up an overtime victory over Ravenwood in the District 10-4A semifinals, helping extend their win streak to 10 straight now. So the Independence Eagles, Mr. Basketball finalist Jet Montgomery, our custom stone handlers in to win life, team of the week and our Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Tennessee I'm sorry Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia player of the week is Loretto's Allie Weathers who averaged 25 points and a pair of Lady Mustang victories last week 28 in their District 10 2A tournament championship win over Cross County rival Summertown in those two games Allie was 23 of 24 from the line. She missed one. Slacker. Even even the great ones uh, can't be perfect all the time, I suppose. All the time. Exactly. So, yeah. Allie Weathers is our Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia Player of the Week. Again, Independence Boys are our Team of the Week. Congratulations to all. When we come back here on... Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee. I did it again, Wade. That's two. I've not done two in a, in a show. You know, muscle memory. It's a, it's a muscle memory is a real thing. And uh, we famously swapped, uh, or at least I did. I kind of did a free agent swap in terms of my broadcasting duties a couple of years ago. And there were there were a few. There mm-hmm. were a few. But uh, you grow out of it as we go on. So you're yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to take some getting used to. When we continue here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, we're going to continue talking some high school sports, a little basketball, a little wrestling. So um, come back with us here in the Lee Company studios after this break. We thrive under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. 
Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Welcome back to Throwback Thursday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely. We're going to continue the high school sports conversation here as we are, as Wade mentioned earlier this week, kind of getting into postseason basketball in earnest now with region quarterfinals and Division One. Um as we mentioned earlier, Division Two is a little bit farther along. They've got their state semifinals next Thursday and Friday up at Tennessee Tech, and the championships will be on Saturday. So their process is a little further along than the Division One process. Um, 
Division One girls region quarterfinals will be played tomorrow night at higher seeds with boys quarterfinals on Saturday and then semis will move to central sites on Monday and Tuesday. So it's um starting to get real for a lot of folks. Yeah, things are uh, really starting to ramp up and region play. Every year, it doesn't matter uh, who it is. I have friends that have lived here their entire lives, here being Tennessee, and even those folks. But every year also, folks from out of state, they ask me, hang on, explain the format for basketball again. Uh, And even two nights ago, the Richland boys uh, suffered a loss to Santa Fe. And I had a good friend of mine who I know follows the sport well. He says, so is Richland done now? And I say, no, not not technically. Oh, well, who do they – where do they have to travel? Well, technically, they don't have to travel at all. Uh, well, explain that to me. So the region, to me, is really when it kind of starts mattering uh, a little more because you actually see some bona fide uh, cuts. And when the bracket finally comes out for region, it to me, just, yeah, it feels like that's when the real season, as we've said, kind of starts in earnest in postseason play. Yeah. Um, it's long been – lamented that once the postseason starts you can lose three games and still win a state championship and, and that one that one is a party trick that i pull out with my friends that are from out of state and uh i'll bust it out every now and again and, and yeah you can lose three times and as you just said still win the state championship three times in the postseason three postseason losses and you can still win a state championship now i don't i don't know how often it's happened, I don't know that it has happened, but it theoretically can happen. And if anybody knows of such an occurrence, please let us know because I'd, I'd be fascinated to know. And there may be one I'm forgetting, but uh, you can lose in the district semis, you can lose in the district consolations, and you can lose in the region championship. Because in all of those occasions, you're assured of another game. So it's... I don't know we we are we are a land of second chances right way yep second uh or even third chances but the beauty is is sometimes yeah a loss in the postseason something unfortunate happens and how many times have we seen it you know especially uh when you have teams that have really high powered districts that it's really unfortunate that one loss in in district play could end one of their seasons so early but where in this model you at least have a chance to move on to the next round. And we see, uh, I'm thinking of the girls' uh, district uh, that Giles County and and Lawrence County are matched up with, Upperman and White County. They've been ranked number one and number two in the AP poll all season long, and they just happen to be in the same district. So it would be really sad if one of them had to leave so early. Uh, You know, and in a weird way, I guess just by growing up in Tennessee all my life, I kind of like the system – that you at least have a chance to kind of move on. Maybe three losses, a little too much, but at least the one I kind of understand a little bit. I think if I could change anything, if I were a one-man board of control or a one-man legislative council, whatever it would take to change the format, I think I would make that district consolation game the only the third-place team moves on. I like that. And then maybe you could play twos and threes. You could incentivize that district championship game a little bit more by giving a bye in the region semifinals there or the region quarterfinals. 
and let twos and threes play each other. That 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 way that that fourth team is done. So, you know, I'm sure that there are some fourth place teams that would find fault with that. Yeah, and you know, the only the only downside and we won't necessarily I guess uh have to spend too much time talking about this, but obviously you run into the situation where you could possibly maybe lose a game on purpose almost. We obviously had a famous, famous situation, you know, a number of years ago with uh, mm-hmm. uh, Smyrna uh, in their region at play, kind of trying to pick and choose who potentially they might play in the next round. And if you're not careful, you can really uh, blow your cover. Uh, and that one was the famous one where both teams were trying to lose on purpose uh, pretty openly. Um but that is the only thing. But I like your model. I haven't really actually heard that one kind of floated about, but I do kind of like the idea of maybe, yeah, let's just take the top three out of the district and roll from there. Yeah. Uh, and, again, it, it incentivizes the district championship. It um, incentivizes um, that district consolation. So just a thought. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, famously Giles County and Spring Hill, they had some really, really quality teams on boys basketball a couple of years ago. Our good buddy Scott Stewart uh, pointing this out uh, on a text. Our friend Chris Bledsoe and Khadijan Townsend, they made it all the way to the state that year. And that was one of those loaded two team districts. Right. And uh, if nothing else, too, it's fun when you got a team like Richland and, and Santa Fe who have been balling out this year. They get to play each other. Uh, three times by the time district tournament play is done, two in the regular season and then one there, then you get a chance to maybe see them again in a region final. And then how great is it sometimes over the years when you see those teams ultimately maybe meet up in the state tournament uh, playing for a championship? It has happened. Absolutely. Um, As we mentioned, you know, Fayetteville and Richland will play in girls region quarterfinals tomorrow over in 5-1A. You've also got – Santa Fe girls going to Richland, Cullioca's at Moore County, and Huntland is at Cornersville um, out of that region. Um, Summertown and Loretto girls will both play at home in Region 5 2A um, to open on Friday. Wade, um, that Region 4 3A, as you mentioned earlier with White, White County and Upperman, got a little interesting with Upperman falling both in the district tournament semifinals and in the consolation. So Tullahoma getting a little bit more than they expected, I would think, as yeah. the district 8-3A champion. Yeah, uh, we just mentioned those teams, and White County uh, and Upperman all season long have kind of been the class of 3A basketball in terms of that AP poll. And then – Obviously, I was not there, but Upperman suffers a loss in the uh, tournament district tournament semifinals, 46 to 38 to Livingston Academy. And then they follow that game up with a 47-39 loss in the consolation to Stone Memorial. Some might potentially look at that, and uh, obviously this is pure speculation, but some might say, what happened to Upperman? Was it an injury? Was it something going on? You know, are they just not playing well? But then when you kind of look at the bracket, you could maybe make the case that, yeah, we'd have to play Tullahoma, by the way, a really good Tullahoma girls basketball team. Yeah, you may have to play them in the first round. But, again, kind of like we had just discussed, if you get by that game, now you suddenly don't have to play White County in the second round, which is also an elimination game. Mm -hmm. Not suggesting or insinuating anything. 
and the score was close enough that it looks like uh, things were on the up and up uh, in, in their loss to uh, Stone Memorial that I just mentioned. But it does just make you kind of wonder. Things to make you go, hmm. As we like to say on this show, Wade, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> and here's here's what I have all, I have been aware of situations where this could potentially be the case that somebody tried to engineer something along those lines. How do you get kids to buy into that? Are the kids aware or are you just kind of maybe tweaking your rotation a little bit or how, how do you bring something? How, as a coach, do you do something like that? Now, again, I feel like there are situations where it has happened, and as long as this format has been in place, I think you've seen situations where folks have certainly wanted to dodge somebody. But I'm not sure that bringing it about is as easy as people think. No, and, and to I mean... Do, and to do it without being detected, as in Smyrna and I think it was... Um, was it Riverdale? Uh, Riverdale. Yeah. So yeah, 2015 Smyrna and Riverdale, and uh, Smyrna ends up winning that game 55 to 39. And uh, interestingly enough, I, two of the girls on the Smyrna team end up coming to play basketball for us at Martin Methodist College, and they still kind of told us that you know everything about that whole situation was icky. But my thing is kind of like Upperman here, and this is why, you know, you got to be careful. Mm -hmm. Okay, you lose one game. Maybe you didn't anticipate that. You potentially, quote-unquote, not throw, but, you know, maybe aren't upset that you lose that second game. But guess what? For a team that's now been on a roll all season long, now you've lost two games in a row, and you're exactly right when you bring that up, Mo, when you say you got to worry about the psyche of your team. And if I'm a coach – I'd almost just rather keep the good vibes rolling and just keep things, the status quo kind of where they're at and just take our chances rather mm -hmm. than trying to have to rally my team once again after we've now lost two in a row for the first time. You know, it, it's almost way like issuing back-to-back -back intentional walks in baseball and then having to refine the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Be careful. And yeah, but, and uh, as as talented as White County is, the thing is now you got to go play Tullahoma at their place, who's a really good team. That is a game that I will be keeping my eyes on tomorrow night for sure. And the winner between the Lady Bees and the Lady Wildcats will play the winner of Lawrence County and Livingston Academy. Which, while neither of them is White County either, won't be a picnic. I mean, yeah. This, and this, the other, this Lawrence County team can can score in a bunch of different ways. No doubt. And the other interesting thing, and this is the way uh, that I kind of look at it too, you maybe you don't want to play White County in an elimination game early in the postseason, but guess what? If you beat them, you don't have to see them the rest of the tournament. They're done, and you've conquered them. And what does that do for your confidence mm -hmm. uh, going mm -hmm. forward is the way I kind of look at that. My, my basic – approach in you know i come at it more from a wrestling thought process because that's that's what we did in our household um i don't like the idea of telling a kid that they can't beat somebody that's that's just me 
Uh, and, you know, whether it's whether it's the public-private debate or, you know, potentially dodging somebody to get a more favorable matchup or, or to get that less favorable matchup later on or, mm-hmm. you know, forfeiting a wrestling match or whatever it is. I don't like the idea of telling somebody, you can't beat that kid. You can't beat that team. It, it just puts negative stuff in folks' mind that in a time where, to me, it's unnecessary. So, And we get caught up chasing championships, but at the end of the day, is that really not what we're all or should be striving for as a coach or as a, a program is to instill confidence in young men and young women and show them how to try and beat the odds? Or if you don't, what can you learn from a losing effort? But instead, you're kind of throwing that away in the pursuit of a title. And and as, as Chad Hall just said, you know, performing as close – to your ceiling as possible that, you know, it's, it's not about the wins and losses. And yeah, I think those kind of, to me, I think there's kind of a happy medium in there in between, but, but, you know, p- performing to your highest potential or reaching your potential or getting as close to your potential as possible, I think is, should be the primary goal. So, yeah. Um, this region 5-4-A is going to be really interesting, I think particularly on the boys' side. On Saturday night, you've got um, Lincoln County, the number four seed, coming out of District 9, going to Independence. Franklin goes to Coffee County. Ravenwood is at Columbia Central. Columbia Central, the District 9-A tournament champ after a regular season co-championship in their first year under Brandon Levier, um, and Warren County goes to Brentwood. This could be a tough matchup for Region 9-4A, I think, in that Independence, Franklin, and Ravenwood were all in the Associated Press Top 10 at some point. Mm -hmm. Those are... I mean, they're tested teams, and that's going to be a challenge, particularly for Lincoln County going on the road to Indy. Um, Coffee County's got a buzzsaw coming in there in, in the Admirals, and this Columbia Central Ravenwood matchup should be a particularly good one. So if you don't have a dog in a hunt Saturday night, Getting over to the Hardy Lloyd Gymnasium for that one might be worth the price of admission. On the girls' side tomorrow night, Columbia Central goes to Nolansville. Those two were in the same district a year ago. In fact, Columbia Central defeated Nolansville at Nolansville in the district finals. So Mm -hmm. the Lady Lions going in there with a little bit of confidence, even as the number four seed coming out of District 9-4A. Brentwood is at Lincoln County. Um, Independence goes to Coffee County and... Shelbyville is at Page. Page is the number two seed out of 10-4A after winning the regular season championship. They got upended by Nolansville in the district finals. Um, Again, keep an eye on that. It's going to be interesting. Um, Wade, as we mentioned, the Division I and the girls' state wrestling tournaments both start tomorrow out at the Williamson County Ag Expo affectionately or not so affectionately referred to as the barn by some um 
But wrestling starts at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Again, for both the girls and for Class A and Class AA in Division I boys, you'll have um, the opening round, the quarterfinals, and consolations will take place, followed by semifinals on, um, that will start at 6.30 on Friday, and then it will resume at 9 o'clock Saturday. Championship finals are set for 5.30 out at the Ag Expo. And um, if you're into wrestling, there should be a lot of good stuff going on out there. Wade, I know that you've not necessarily been exposed to it. I might have to drag you with me at some point. Well, I was getting ready to ask you two questions, Mo. Number one, uh, I keep up with uh, amateur wrestling a little bit, usually when the NCAA tournaments uh, get put on TV. Mm-hmm. Um in your honest opinion, how does Tennessee rank? Uh, what is their reputation, I guess, uh, nationwide uh, as far as wrestling? I, I think honestly, and and I, you know, I've not had an opportunity to see a whole lot of high school wrestling outside of Tennessee. Uh, I think Tennessee wrestling is getting better. I think it. I think for the longest time it was Chattanooga and everybody else. Mm-hmm. I think the rest of the state, particularly Nashville and middle Tennessee is closing that gap. Um, and I think you've got some really good wrestling in this area. I think you've got some guys that are going to go on and, and wrestle collegiately. Um, yeah, summit's got a couple. One is, um, going to, the Ohio State and the other is going to Appalachian State. Um, Landon DeSalle is signed with o- Ohio State. Jarvis Little is going to Appalachian State. Um, you've got some other guys who are going to have some opportunities to um, to wrestle at the Division One level. Um, there's a kid at Trousdale County, a one-man team over there, and mm-hmm. his name is immediately escaping me, but he is signed with Virginia Military Institute. He's going to go up there and wrestle. Um, but I, I, the wrestling in this area has gotten not necessarily better, but deeper, I think. Kind of like high school football. And I don't know if it's the same reasons. I don't know if it's numbers. I don't know if it's, you know, um, a higher level of instruction. I don't know if kids are, you know, going out and finding more competition and that kind of thing during the summer. But I think it's probably a little bit of all of that. Mm-hmm. But wrestling i think has gotten a lot better in this area and wrestling's gotten a lot better in tennessee i i um you know when they go off to these national events like up to fargo in the summer and different things like that a lot more of these kids are having better showings on the national stage and and so you know that's kind of the best way i can answer that because I just don't see a whole lot of other states to really compare it to necessarily, but it seems like Tennessee kind of holds its own when they have the opportunity to do so. So that makes sense. And then real quick, I guess my second question is uh, in regards to the state tournament, how much of a grinder for the, uh, of an event is that for the individuals? And then I guess by proxy uh, the teams as they try and just plow through that and uh, hopefully win a state championship. Well, the thing is, it's they've changed the format here in the last couple of years where you're only bringing, um, well, it's a two-day tournament instead of a three-day tournament now, which means you only have to make weight twice instead of three times. And I mm-hmm. think that's a bigger deal 
than anything else, not necessarily um, the grind of the competition. I think it's still the same amount of matches, but it's over two days instead of three. So um, I think just that not having to make weight that third day probably makes a difference for a lot of kids and, and everything that goes into getting ready to get on the mat, not necessarily when you're on the mat. So, but um, again, the two day event rather than the three, um, I, that's a good question. That might be something I'll try to ask some coaches about while I'm out there this weekend. So thank you for, you know, the enlightening question, Mr. Neely. Um, we need to take a break. So let's do that. And when we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by the Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, we will have Terry McCormick's not necessarily top-of-the-hour Titans report. So come back to the Lee Company Studios with us after this. Welcome to Protein Snack Shop, your destination for healthy and delicious low-carb snacks. Our specialty lies in providing protein-packed desserts that are perfect for those following a keto diet. Our products are made with high-quality ingredients, ensuring that you can satisfy your cravings without compromising your health goals. From a variety of flavors and options to choose from, you can enjoy guilt-free snacking while staying on track with your fitness journey. Don't miss out on our limited-time offer. Discover Protein Snack Shop today. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. 
With Lee Company technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Welcome back to the second hour of the Throwback Thursday edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. I'm Maurice Patton, joined by Wade Neely on this Thursday. We are now also joined by Titan insider Terry McCormick with his top of the hour Titans report, presented by Zen Sports. Terry, good afternoon. How are you? Yes, it is your Titans report presented as always by Zen Sports. Uh, Combine is coming up next week, and that's also kind of the unofficial start of free agency, uh, where the uh, agents and the uh, teams kind of, you know, get in each other's ears and they, you know, kind of say, hey, my guy might be a fit for you, or, you know, what do you think about this, that? So, you know, Interesting. And the Titans have a bunch of guys who are upcoming free agents uh, for 2024. Some big names like Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, Danico Autry, and then a lot of guys uh, maybe that uh, they'd probably be best moving on from. We're going to get to those free agents in just a second and talk a little bit about your article that you've got up on the website, TitanInsider.com, Terry. But what are you more interested in? free agency or the combine? That's a good question. I think it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm interested in the combine for the, for the fact that, you know, this is the first time for Brian Callahan to be a head coach. I want to see kind of how he goes through uh, the process of the combine. Now that he's the guy calling the shots uh, uh, as far as the coaching staff goes, and then want to see what Rand Carthon does to uh, build on what he started last year in trying to get this thing uh, back on track and in terms of, and now going in a completely different direction because last year he was picking players. He was shopping for Mike Vrabel's groceries and now he's shopping for Brian Callahan's groceries and they are not shopping from the same aisle, shall we say. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, is there anybody in particular, Terry, as you kind of look at, you know, what what this team needs to be thinking about? Is there anybody in particular that jumps out at you that will be at the Combine that they'll be focusing on particularly? Well, I think there's a number of them at, at a number of different positions. I think, obviously, uh, tackle is the first thing that comes to mind. And, you know, I think what they have to assess is, you know, 
is Alt or Fashanu. You know, most people have him head and shoulders ranked as the top two tackles uh, most likely to go uh, in this draft. Both of them uh, pretty much uh, most people think they're going to be off the board in the first 10 picks or so. So if one of those guys is what you feel like you need and is the absolute best value there, you want to get a complete evaluation of them. But it's also a deep tackle class. And you now have Brian Callahan's father, Bill, who's regarded as really good at developing offensive linemen. So is there a scenario where there's maybe somebody else that would be available at number 38 that you go, well, this guy might not be right as good now as Alt or Prashanu, but with Bill Callahan's coaching, he can get there. So if that's the case, then maybe you look at number seven and you look for a skill position player, maybe a Malik Neighbors, maybe a Brock Bowers, somebody like that to, uh, you know, kind of energize the offense a little bit in ways that it hasn't been in a while. Terry, you mentioned Brock Bowers, and I want to ask you about this because a couple of weeks or so ago, he made an unsolicited comment that he would like to play in Tennessee. Now, I don't remember the chronology of that, if that was before or after Brian Callahan had been hired. But one, you know, that's really rare for a player this time of year to say something like that. Two, what does that mean to a team when a player says something like that? Well, I think thir- certainly think that, uh, you know, if he wasn't already high on their radar, uh, he will be now. And I think that, uh, you know, him professing a desire that uh, he'd like to play in Tennessee, and I think some of that stems from the fact I heard that his uh, significant other, his girlfriend, goes to the University of Tennessee, which would put her in close proximity as opposed to if he were drafted by, say, the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> that makes sense. So there, that makes sense. There might be some of that as well, but it was post-Brian Callahan. So, you know, for what that's worth, I mean, you know, I think you could do a lot worse than adding Brock Bowers to your offense, I would think. Yeah, uh, that would be – Quite the piece uh, if, if the Titans were able to have him in. Uh, Terry, I'm glancing through your article here, and I can't help but notice uh, chances to help in 2024. Two of the guys uh, that have the highest grade, according to, to these uh, rankings here, as it were, are long snapper Morgan Cox and, and kicker Nick Folk. How much uh, of an important piece is continuing what has been a really strong special teams unit the last couple of years? How much of that is going to be key? if nothing else, take the mind off of uh, the rest of the rebuild because it seems like everything else is kind of in flux. Well, yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that because, you know, the ratings on here are just my personal opinion of how much they could probably help and how much interest the Titans should have in bringing them back. And, you know, they finally got the kicking game, the special teams. They finally got it right last year in terms of a field goal kicker. Uh, Morgan Cox is one of the best long snappers. Nick Folk solved the kicking question. And before he was injured, Ryan Stonehouse was having probably, he was probably the team MVP for the season he was he was putting out there. So I think it's a situation where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that this is an opportunity to fix it. Even though this is kind of a team that's in a full rebuilding swing, there's certain areas where you, you just – you don't leave it to chance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you can 
if you can find a 23-year-old field goal kicker out there or a 23-year-old long snapper out there that are top of the line that you can bring in and have them on the cheap for a few years, that's fine. But honestly, if Nick Folk is amenable to returning, if Morgan Cox is amenable to returning, I would think the Titans ought to be jumping at the chance to have both of them back maybe on a one- to two-year deal. And then some of the other names on there, I know, you know, I, you know, people want to know about Henry, Tannehill, Danico Autry, Aziz Alshire. You know, I think the fact that there was a coaching staff change signifies that a lot of these guys are going to be elsewhere. Of that group, I think Danico Autry is the most important one to try and retain. But I think Danico Autry at 33 years old probably doesn't want to sit through a rebuild if he can help it. Terrell Williams was just hired by the Detroit Lions, who, by the way, need one more defensive lineman. I'm guessing that Danico Autry's agent probably has the Lions and Brad Holmes on speed dial right now, just waiting to call him once free agency starts. And then, you know, as far as Henry, you know, I, I just kind of feel like that things just lined up perfectly, even though Derrick Henry is still one of the best running backs in the league. The change of philosophy to go with more of a modernized passing offense that's going to run through Will Levis rather than through Derrick Henry. And then Derrick Henry's desire to probably finish the last two or three years of his career on a Super Bowl caliber team. I think that makes the perfect storm for them to part ways with no hard feelings. What do you guys think? Makes sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. Unfortunately, it makes sense. Yeah. So, um, Terry McCormick, the Titans insider with his daily Titans report. Terry, tell us about Zen Sports. All right. Let's talk about Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee that's bringing sports betting to a whole new level, literally with their new boosted same game parlays. When you sign up for Zen Sports, you'll automatically earn up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. If your first bet loses, you'll be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to $1,000. And now Zen Sports is offering 10 boosted same-game parlays for NBA and NHL every single day. That's 10 bets, each with a 10% boost, and you can bet on every single one of them. And there's even more good news. Zen Sports offers a one-of-a-kind VIP rewards program. If you qualify, you'll earn monthly comps at sporting events, concerts, you name it, even sportsbook bonuses. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel that your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, check out the program details and apply at zensports.com slash VIP. So what are you waiting for? The daily same-game parlay boosts go quick, so get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. No danger of first wager. Limited to plus 500 odds to qualify. Boosted odds are derived from equivalent parlay bets offered in Tennessee. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet. When we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, it's Throwback Thursday. We'll tell you more about it after the break. (music) 
Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Keep this Friday train rolling with Rockies.com beat writer Thomas Harding, who was in Knoxville earlier this week for the call <laughs> as as Todd Helton received word that he will be one of four 2024 inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame, along with Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Jim Leland. Thomas, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mo. How are you feeling? Doing. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling clean. You know. Yeah, there I'm we feeling, go. Got what it takes to win a championship, baby. Absolutely. Hey, how's Denver? It is wonderful. A little cold today. Um, 38 degrees out there. But then again, when I was in Knoxville, they were coming out of the deep freeze. So I think we're in, actually in the national deep freeze right now. Yeah, they were coming out of a deep freeze. So we're we're. We're not going to complain a whole lot about 38 because things were about 20 degrees yes. colder than that last week. So um, so did you have any trouble getting into Knoxville, given that? Uh, no, actually, I came just right at the right time, right after it was four degrees there. But then again, you know, 38 degrees here was um, 45 degrees more than it was last week. So that's the way I feel about that. So, yes, it was, it, it was a tough time. But, hey, the the. Um, Everything cleared up for Todd. How about that? 45 degrees warmer. Is that what you said? Yes. We're talking Ooh. about minus seven. Goodness. Um, so how was Tuesday, man? I mean, when you get that kind of access to somebody, it's pretty cool. Now, obviously, you and Todd had a had a history, but still, for you to be able to to get there and be on hand for that event, that's a pretty big deal. It is a pretty big deal, and also it's a kind of a nervous situation for Todd. I mean, I've been to two of these, and I'm two for two. You know, I, you hate to be in the house where it doesn't happen. I was at Goose Gossage's, and, you know, Goose waited forever to get in. And um, I was at his. He he lived he lives in Colorado Springs. He's from there, and it was nice to be there for that. And Todd, I mean, he was very nervous leading up to it kind of pacing around a bit, doing a little bit of everything, I think, to take his mind off of it. But it, it's a, it's just such a well-deserved honor because of what he did in his career. And I think some of the um, some of the dislike for the Rockies and Coors Field, hopefully that's fading away. Hopefully they are, they are learning that um, it's Major League Baseball. So why, um, you know, why discount it? Yeah, you can't necessarily penalize that guy for where he played half his games. You know, we had John Parado on earlier this week, and he mentioned that that very thing that he kind of had to be swayed over or swayed past the Coors Field effect for Todd Hilton and finally kind of came to the realization that he was getting it done away from Denver just like he was at Denver. So that that kind of push him in that direction but you talk about 
the nervousness that Todd probably had. And, you know, this was his sixth year on the ballot, which meant five times he didn't get in. And so I would imagine you would be a little a little antsy, even though all of the indications from the ballots that had come in this year kind of made it feel like he was actually going to get in this time around. Still, you don't know until you know. Well, it was a strange situation because I believe there were five voters that voted for him in the past that did not vote for him this time. So that's what made it a nervous situation. And really, in a lot of those cases, it never was explained. I mean, did they just forget what they did the previous year? Did Todd go into a slump last year? I'm not sure. <laughs> here's what um, here's what I say about the Coors Field effect. There are two things about it. Number one, when you look at Todd Helton, you look at Larry Walker, all of their vote numbers were better than a large number of Hall of Famers. So you can't discount them. And I think that the course field factor is really misunderstood because, yes, it does elevate you a bit at home. Um, it, it's actually a very big park because you want to cut down on the number of home runs. So some fly balls fall in. However, the ball doesn't just travel differently off the bat. The ball travels differently out of the pitcher's hand. So when you go on the road and you're looking at a curveball that breaks X amount, or uh, I guess I'll use the words of Walt Weiss many years ago. He said that, um, and we have to kind of date ourselves a bit. He said that what will happen is an average sinker at Coors Field, those first two games in a row, it looks like Kevin Brown is throwing every single pitch. So, yes, it does help, but it hurts more. It's not like you play in an abnormal atmosphere, then you go on the road and play in a normal atmosphere. No, no atmosphere is normal, and that's part of the problem of building a roster, of building a pitching staff, of winning consistently, which is – Part of the reason, you know, and also you're not spending the huge amounts of money, but that goes into the reasons why it's so tough to win consistently in Denver. Thomas, uh, I want to hop in and ask, uh, other than obviously the huge sense of relief, what were some of the other uh, key takeaways and key emotions out of this announcement for, for Todd and his family? Well, I think it just feels like everything has fallen into place for Todd. About three years ago, he came back to the organization as a special assistant to the GM. He only works in the minor leagues. He, um, he's come to Denver for a couple of like honors and, and things like that, but he is in there on the ground floor working with all the minor league hitters and helping them out. He comes to spring training. He's not even at the major league games. It's with the minor leaguers, and he really loves that. Now, I think when some of those guys begin to make the major leagues, he'll be a part of it. But having that come together, seeing his family there with him, I think that that made a huge difference for Todd. You know, a guy that you know, during his career, you didn't know how things were going to end up because there was a time they almost traded him to the Red Sox to get rid of his contract. But he actually expressed to them, hey, I want to stay. And really, he was kind of the driving force behind the team that went to the World Series in 2007, the same year he was nearly traded to the Red Sox. But he had told the Rockies, hey, it would mean more to me to win here than to go somewhere else where – you know, they have the money and all those other resources and win. So that's why he's so beloved here. And I think that's why so many of the Rockies fans also were really pulling for him. And I tried to avoid a lot of the online stuff. I mean, it's it, it's almost overwhelming. But I know that they put up a big argument for him whenever someone would vote against him. And Thomas, yeah, you kind of uh, walked right into another question I wanted to ask. Isn't it just so refreshing and uh, rewarding 
to hear stories like that of, yeah, either a hometown discount or just that over, overwhelming sense of loyalty toward a franchise to ultimately now, as we see with the ultimate payoff. Yeah, it is good. I mean, I think all these careers belong to the player. I mean, they're, they're short. When you look at a lifetime, Todd Helton is 50 years old. 17 years is not a lot as he hopefully continues to move into old age, but it's short but very intense. I think you should have the right to determine where you want to go. I mean, the first, what, um, eight years or so if you're drafted, you have no control over where you are. You sign a contract and you still really have no control. Even with no trade clauses, they could trade you. But he had the opportunity to express, yeah, I want to go elsewhere. No, I want to stay here. Either one frankly, would have been fine because it is his career. But in order to see him do that, that meant a lot to the people of Colorado. Thomas Harding, Colorado Rockies beat writer for MLB.com, joining us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Um, again, five years he didn't get in to finally get it done this time, especially with some folks not voting for him after having previously voted for him it's um you know the balloting process is really odd it seems yeah and part of it i'm going to defend it although there are some votes that are hard to defend and it's up to the writers to defend it themselves so you have to be a member of the baseball writers association of america for 10 consecutive years then you receive a hall of fame vote there is a time after you stop covering baseball that they take you off the roll. So those are those are the basic rules. Beyond that, there are very few rules. It's intentionally vague. And I think with that, it does um, it does make it the most controversial and probably the best Hall of Fame. The fact that you don't know who's getting in because there's a lot of room for writers to decide what they want to decide. I don't believe in taking the ballot from someone. I do believe, though, that as we get educated uh, on various things, the, the voting gets better. I go back to Larry Walker. At the end of his career, I remember him once telling me, I asked him about the Hall of Fame, and he told me, the only way I'm going to get in is with a ticket. But at the end of his career, he looked at his numbers and also, we've come up with new ways to kind of compare players from era to era and also within your era. And he was part of, and so, so was Todd, the era that we called the steroids era. And they weren't um, sullied the way others were in it. So you look at that and also you look at the numbers and how they compared with their peers and how they compared all time. Those guys were Hall of Famers, even though somebody like a Larry Walker and didn't see it at the time. And a lot of times, as Todd has said, you don't play to get into the Hall of Fame. So you're not really looking at that. But after it's over and you start looking at your career and you start appreciating all that you went through, then, yeah, you want the song. Adrian Beltre um, received, what, 95% of the vote? Mm -hmm. um, Todd got 79 and some change, just under 80%. Joe Maurer got 76% of the vote. Um, obviously we've known all along that Adrian Beltre was going in deservedly. So, um, Todd was a little dicey, has been a little dicey. Were you surprised at Joe Maurer? I was not surprised at Joe Maurer. Frankly, I was surprised that Kelton was on a larger percentage of votes of ballots than Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer, the position he played for much of his career, and yes, things loosened as he went. He played some first base and DH, but at that position, 
I figured he was the first ballot Hall of Famer going into it. I think it's very deserved. Um, same with Adrian Beltre, the best at his position. And hey, if you have to wait five years, what difference does it make? You're there, uh, you know, at the Hall of Fame, and you get inducted. So. I, I don't have a problem with that, too. I think that it should be hard to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, it should be maybe people really look at your stats and compare them against against others. I mean, there, there are people who were who were dead long before these guys were born. And that's the special thing about baseball, that you can um, compare those eras. So, you know, in a, in a way, it's controversial, but in a way, it's very special. I was just going to say, is that not what kind of makes the Baseball Hall of Fame so unique and uh, why there's always such a discussion about it? Uh, it seems like every year we're not analyzing percentage points of the NHL uh, Hall of Fame, it seems like, on a year-to-year -year basis, whereas baseball, that's kind of hallowed ground. And uh, to me, that's what's so exciting about this process every year is, yeah, we're breaking down the percentage points and the years that you're on the ballot uh, kind of plays a factor into that equation, too. And I guess – not really much of a question in there so much as to say that I just really enjoy the process on a year-to-year -year basis. Well, the, the part of the process that I didn't agree with was when they went from 15 years to 10 on the ballot. But I think what's going to happen is a number of players that either drop off the ballot early because you can't vote that many, they're going to be re-looked at. Um, one guy that I'm wondering about, it, it, there are two guys that I'm wondering about in that respect. Um, Car um, first, The first one, I guess, is more recent. Matt Holiday, if you look at him, he dropped off the ballot this year. But if you look at some of the numbers that are cooked up, I think that um, Bill James has a kind of Hall of Fame likelihood number. And we're talking about um, and, and the number that he has in his um, mix of stats is 100. 100 and above, you're a likely Hall of Famer. Matt Holiday is like 105, 110. Really good career. In fact, a great career when you when you look at him compared to a lot of other guys. Years down the road, does he get looked at by a veterans committee? The other one is Carlos Delgado, who I don't know how he dropped off the ballot so quickly. But I, I look at that career and I say Hall of Famer. Um, hopefully some of the committees down the road will get them in. So there is another way into the Hall of Fame, and it's not a back door. It's another door. <laughs> Thomas Harding of MLB.com joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and & Joint. And Thomas, as you say that, and you mentioned – you know, they went from 15 years on the ballot to 10 years on the ballot. If you run into a couple of years where there, where a lot of guys retired at the same time, you can kind of find yourself in a in a delicate situation, I guess. I mean, is that maybe what happened to Gary Sheffield this year in particular? I mean, were there just too many guys? Um, I'm not sure on that. I know that there was some... Um some specter of whatever went on during the Balco case, which Gary Sheffield came out and said exactly what happened. And I think that's why he got more votes than maybe he would have otherwise. I think he's a guy that you have to look at as a Hall of Famer later on. Yes, he was not the greatest defensive player, but guess what? What position did Pete Rose play? Almost nobody forgets. He was a great batter, you know? Um, Gary Sheffield was a feared power hitter. I think he I think he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. If I had a vote, and that's a long story, they didn't let MLB.com into the organization for many years. At some point, I'll get my vote. If I had a vote, I'd have voted for Gary Sheffield. Would you have voted for Andrew Jones? And and now let me let me let me warn you before you right. answer that. 
the wrong answer might get you kicked off this show. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I would love to examine his candidacy. When I look, when I look at it, I look at things beyond just numbers because I think that you can become a stat goblin. You know, you, you come up with all these numbers and you control everything. I'm the evil stat goblin. He gets in, he doesn't, you know, I, I don't believe in that. But if you look at the numbers that he put up, especially during the dominant period with the Atlanta Braves and something that's really important to me, he was the most dominant center fielder defensively of his era. Maybe one of the most dominant of all time. That's why if I were sitting down, crunching the numbers, I would lean toward voting yes on him. A number that I saw here in the last 24 hours, and either I had not seen it before or it just did not make the impact with me that it did when I saw it here most recently. Four guys in Major League Baseball history with 400 home runs and 10 gold gloves. Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Schmidt, Andrew Jones. Yes. That says a lot to me about a Hall of Fame vote there. Like I say, I'm not voting here, so I'm not, um, I, I, I'm not going to give a lot of comment until I'm actually sitting there with that piece of paper. Gosh, we're so old-fashioned. We're checking off ballots on a piece of paper and putting it in the mail. And putting I'm it like, in the mailbox. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I'm like somebody um, probably faxed theirs in, Thomas. Yes, I don't know because that may be too far for the baseball writers. I've I've joked that uh, that at times technologically we're in the 1500s years. You know, while baseball has gone into this um, era of statistical uh, analysis, we're in the 1500s. But yeah, when I'm sitting down looking at that. That will be a number I'll look at. A lot of the counting stats, I hope they come back into vogue. As you know, with the players with the steroids hanging over them, it seemed like you threw out the number of home runs and a few things, or at least some some voters did. I have my own opinions on that, but hey, they're off the ballot, so I don't get to vote on those. Um, but when you look at it now, the with the game more, um, I, 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 I guess with that cloud not on the game, then you go back to those numbers. And especially, especially the 400 home runs and the 10 gold gloves, that really means a lot. I mean, gosh, when I was growing up playing baseball, the only thing I wanted was a gold glove. I'm like, can I get a gold glove from the Bluefield West Virginia Pee Wee League? I would, I would hope so. That's all I really wanted was a gold glove. So that means a lot to me. Thomas, as we go forward, who are some key guys that uh, either are going to be surefire picks for the next year or two, or who are some guys that are going to be right on that cusp again in the next year or two? Boy, you're you're hitting me because um, I'm actually not sure. I almost read a story this morning that said who was going to be on the ballot. You know, the one guy that I'm looking at here locally is Troy Tulowitzki. It looks like he did not play enough because of the injuries. But you start looking at the numbers. You start comparing them to some Hall of Famers at the, at the shortstop position. You look at the seven best years of his, they're just short of Hall of Fame numbers. So that's a guy I'm looking at, you know, from a coverage standpoint. I'm sure that a number of great players are going to be on the ballot coming up. I mean, this was a, this was a, this was a pretty good year with uh, Beltre and Maurer. And um, I, I think that... I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. seems like there are a lot of new voters coming on, so I'm not really at this stage. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just not up on it and not ready to predict it at this point. Thomas Harding, MLB.com, beat writer for the Colorado Rockies, joining us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. You can follow him on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, 
at Harding underscore at underscore MLB. T, appreciate your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me. And anytime, Mo, baby. All right. Thanks, guys. We thrive under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Welcome back to Throwback Thursday here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by the Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Maurice Patton, Wade Neely with you here on this Thursday afternoon. We are now joined by CBSSports.com bracketologist Jerry Palm. Jerry, good afternoon, man. Hey, how's it going? Going well, man. How about you? I'm doing all right. Great, great. Um, new projections up on the website as per usual. Um, doesn't look like anything changed <laughs> from the last time we spoke. Oh, probably has changed a little bit. Uh, it may have changed back too. Uh, <laughs> you know, the more Purdue things change, the more one. they stay the same, huh? Yeah, well, Purdue was number one when the committee gave it to us on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they lost, uh, and Connecticut jumped back up. And then Connecticut lost, and Purdue jumped back up. So uh, it's a, a little bit of back and forth. Illinois uh, lost to Penn State last night, so they've dropped out of the top four seeds. Uh, Auburn had dropped out. Uh, so, it, yeah, there's definitely been some movement, certainly from those top 16 uh, that the committee gave us on Saturday. But it feels like, you know, UConn, Purdue, Houston, Arizona have kind of cemented themselves unless something really drastic happens as the four number ones. That- yeah, we'll see about Arizona. Um, the thing about Arizona is, they don't have any quad one games left on their schedule. So the teams that are all chasing have several opportunities to try and and stack a resume and maybe pass Arizona, even if Arizona doesn't lose again. So we'll see what happens. But um, Arizona's resume is not going to get a whole lot better. It has a much greater chance of getting worse than getting better. Uh, in any significant way while the teams that are chasing still have opportunities to improve. Jerry, any one of those teams uh, potentially hunting Arizona, as it were? Uh, Any one of those stick out to you uh, in particular, or is that kind of a collective effort that any of these uh, four to five, six even teams that can maybe chase down Arizona couldn't move up in that spot? 
Yeah, I, I like Tennessee probably the best because uh, the SEC gives them chances to resume build, and I think they're the best team in the league. Um, Kansas uh, has a good chance to resume build as well, but I think Houston is the best team in that league. Uh, I don't know if North Carolina gets quite as many chances, more than Arizona, but that's not saying a lot. Uh, Marquette, of course, uh, UConn uh, is in their league. Now, they're going to get another shot at them at home. Uh, they got uh, wasted by Connecticut the other night, but uh, or up to the weekend, I guess. So um, I, I think that Tennessee's got the best shot at running Arizona down. You mentioned uh, UConn. Question for you from the other night. Obviously, we saw a big number uh, from Creighton, and I guess the question coming out of that game, better win for Creighton in your mind or worse loss potentially for UConn if, uh, if you were to grade it like that potentially? I'd say it's a better win for Creighton. Um, you know, that's as good a win as Creighton can get. Uh, and it, the loss doesn't hurt UConn in a significant way. I mean, that's a really good team, top four seed type of team. Uh, they got buzzsawed. You know, that's just happens sometimes. Um, the committee doesn't put as much weight on margin of victory as their ranking system, the net does, uh, which puts a lot of weight on it. But, um, it's uh, Yeah, it's just one loss. It's not a big deal for UConn. They still have everything they want ahead of them. And the nice thing about these four teams is they're from different regions. So mm-hmm. you could order those top four teams in any order, and they're all going to end up still in their preferred region. So, um, And I think, you know, for typically for the teams that are number one seeds, they want to be in their preferred region. That means more to them than being, say, the overall number one. Being able to, although if you're the overall number one, you get to pick your spot, but it's more important to them to be in the region that they prefer uh, than to even be a number one seed. So, Jerry, when you when you say that they get to pick their preferred region, is there conversation going on between the committee and the school as far as that goes? I mean, the what, conversation held before the season. Uh, the NCAA asks every eligible team uh, to choose a regional and a first and second round site in the event that they're the overall number one seed. So you choose in advance of the season. Then that makes sense because it's not like they're changing site locations, right? Right. So they they ask in advance of the season. Who knew? See, that's why we bring you guys like CBSSports.com, Bracketologist Jerry Palm, because I guarantee you there's somebody out there that didn't know that. I, I know I didn't. So <laughs> It's a relatively uh, recent thing. Uh, it goes back before the pandemic, but not too far back um, that they started doing that. Jerry, as I look at the number four line, Auburn, Creighton, Colorado State, and San Diego State, the latter two both coming out of the Mountain West, San Diego State, a Final Four participant last year you know i know this stuff is based on what they've done this season but how much of an impact does sdsu's performance last year have on maybe the mountain west getting a little bit more love this time around no nothing absolutely nothing what uh the reason that they're getting more love this time around is because the other teams are better and they put a few teams in last year, too. I mean, San Diego State wasn't the only team in there. But um, really, other than Utah State, the other five teams were expected to still be good or improved this year over last. Uh, Utah State lost 
everybody on their roster who scored points last season all gone. And they completely rebuilt that roster. Uh, and now they're contending for first place in the league. It's a, it's a tremendous uh, accomplishment. And unfortunately, the name of the coach just jumped right out of my head. If you said it, I would know it. But uh, anyway, he deserves consideration <laughs> for National Coach of the Year to put together a potential championship team in that league starting from scratch. And I guess it's a, a testament to the transfer portal. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, yeah, it's just a, an amazing story, Utah State, this season. Jerry, as I'm glancing through your bubble rankings here, um, who's, who's a team that desperately needs to do quite a bit of work in the next couple of weeks, both either in the regular season or the postseason, uh, short of winning a tournament? Which one of these maybe power teams in your mind needs to do some resume solidification? Geez, uh, anybody in and around the cut line, uh, the teams that I have listed that are not in the bracket qualify for that. Uh, the teams I have listed that are still in the bracket, like Utah, Colorado, um, Northwestern, Nebraska, you know, Texas A&M, why A&M actually fell out. But, you know, the, these are all Gonzaga, everybody. They, they all have work to do to try and ensure their spot in the field, but they don't all have the same opportunity. Gonzaga, for example, they don't play anybody except St. Mary's the rest of the way that can help them. And mm -hmm. that's at St. Mary's the final day of the regular season. If they don't win that, they probably have to win the conference tournament, which would mean beating St. Mary's almost certainly. So, um, but uh, yeah, Wake Forest comes to mind. That's a team that really needs quality wins. Unfortunately, I think the best possible win left on their schedule is at Virginia Tech, which means they're going to have to find it in the conference tournament somewhere uh, if Wake Forest is going to make the NCAA tournament because they're just, they don't have a schedule that really helps them enough. Chair, you've got Ole Miss as one of your last four in with a net of 68. In light of, you know, some of the AQs, how does that work? Well, the net is not used as a decision, uh, as, as criteria for selection. The net is used to put your opponents into quadrants on team sheets. So your opponent's net ranking is actually more important than your own. They're not using the net to make comparisons and say, well, this team's got a better net, therefore they're in. They're looking at, you know, quality wins, uh, the quality of your losses, uh, the quality of your schedule. You know, all of those things are measured by the net one way or another. But your own net is not that important, and in part because it's so influenced by margin of victory, and the selection process is not – it's, it's not weighted by margin of victory. It's, it's results-oriented. So you're going to see discrepancies between net rankings and teams getting in or out or seats. Okay. All right. Getting educated, as can you. Would you follow at J.P. Palm CBS on Twitter or on X and check him out on CBSSports.com? Jerry, What's a game you are eyeing this weekend in terms of how it can impact um, Ooh. your next projection? Gosh, I haven't looked that far ahead. Um, well, what's anything one tonight? Well, a game tonight? Yeah. Uh, Arizona and Washington State tonight. Uh, that is a, a game where you've got, you know, the top two teams in the Pac-12. It's probably yeah, – I mean, it's a great chance for Washington State 
to try and get up and, you know, get another quality win. That's been the second best team in the league. They've separated themselves from the pack. Um, and they beat Arizona the first time. They beat them at home. Well, now they got to go to McHale and try and do it. Good luck with that. But if they do, that's a big feather in their cap, and it may knock Arizona off the top line of the bracket. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that that's probably the biggest game on the schedule tonight. Purdue's in action as well, uh, looking to bounce back after the loss at Ohio State. They're playing Rutgers at home. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the really big games, you know, this weekend, uh, or not this weekend, but tonight, that's the one that really stands out. Great. Sounds good. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by the Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Jerry, we appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you next week and um, getting some more insight and learning something. I'm glad to do it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Thanks. Jerry. Uh, when we come back here on Main Street Sports today, it's the grab bag, and it'll be baseball dominated. I'll just warn you. So stay tuned here as we come back to the Lee Company Studios after this. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break and uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Smith Reece Smith Field, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's you, just... You got that right. And that's <laughs> be, be a buzz. You know, when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag and you don't even have to wear it you can just hold it which is what i do when i walk the dog so i think i think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding <laughs> it did so, it really um, did it, it, on your show logo we've got to get a puck in there there's a basketball there's a oh. football, there's a baseball maybe mm -hmm. it's not a puck how about mo brandishes a hockey stick tune in daily at 2 p.m on main street media tv Final segment of Throwback Thursday here on Main Street Sports today. It's the grab bag. And going to lead it off with MLB.com's top 100 right now. They finally got to number one. They've been rolling those out in sets of 10 here over the past week or so. And number one shouldn't be a great surprise. May have been to some folks wasn't to me. Ronald Acuna Jr. is according to MLB.com. I guess the surprise is that they actually gave it to a brave, but Ronald Acuna Jr. according to MLB.com is the best player in Major League Baseball right now. So, Wade, were you surprised? Uh, um, in a sense, uh, only that, yeah, 
wasn't necessarily anticipating a, a member of the Braves being at number one, but just because you got a guy like Mookie Betts, you got a guy like Otani, major, major markets, kind of would think that MLB might veer that direction. Obviously, Judge up there as well. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a surprise to me. But, I mean, as far as a baseball, you know, just straight up numbers, uh, I got no qualms of this. And uh, other than that, just media market is kind of surprised. I think it's pretty, pretty warranted. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned Betts and Otani. Two and four. Freeman, five. Aaron Judge was number three on the list. Uh, the rest of the top ten, Corey Seager of the Rangers. Um Juan Soto, now of the Yankees, coming in at number eight. Wade's guy, Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros, followed by Garrett Cole of the Yankees and J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. That's your top ten. Um, Alvarez, tip of the cap to Wade and his, his orange and blue guys. Houston had seven of the top 100. Alvarez is – Sorry. I was just going to ask you if you had seen the list. Uh, go, going through it now, and Alvarez being a top 10, a uh, little bit of a surprise just because of the number of games that he's missed. But when this guy is healthy, ooh-wee, he is a ferocious hitter. And I'm, you know, crossing my fingers and praying to the baseball gods that uh, they that he stays healthy this year because when he is in the lineup, he makes that entire team that much better. Absolutely. Um, also from the Astros, Jose Altuve at number 22, followed by, immediately followed by Kyle Tucker at 23, Alex Bregman at 44, Framber Valdez, 55, Josh Hader at 60, and Justin Verlander at 62. Three pitchers. Yeah, That's... not bad. Uh, and kind of in that same uh, mid-20s uh, realm that you were just discussing, how about this, Mo? Manny Machado, ranked 24th. Last season, ranked fifth. So a little bit of a tumble there for uh, for Manny, obviously. Well, and it's interesting because Acuna was 25th last year and won this roll, year. Roll reversal. Yeah, there you go. Um, other Braves, um, Matt Olson, 13th. Austin Riley, 15th. Spencer Strider, 17th. So the Braves had four of the top 20. Sean Murphy at 47, Max Freed at 48, Michael Harris Jr. I'm sorry, Michael Harris the second at 50. Ozzy Albies, 66, and this one may have been the biggest shock of them all. Marcel Ozuna at 83. Didn't really see that one coming when when that rolled out. But the Braves had nine of the top 100, the most in baseball, by the way. So um intriguing list. And I think when you go through and you look at all 100, it's like, how did that guy land there or ahead of that guy? Particularly when you kind of do the comparison thing, one versus another one. So, but it's um, it's nice, nice to get folks talking about baseball here in mid-February as spring training is starting to crank up. I think there were some games that were actually on TV today, somewhere. So, getting to be that time. I love this, by the way, too. Uh, you talked about uh, kind of the the debate or the rank. How about a little uh, in-house fighting with the Contreras brothers? William Contreras for the Brewers, ranked 81st. Wilson Contreras for the Cardinals, ranked 82nd. I mean, come on now. Yeah, yeah. How does that happen? How does that happen? 
Somebody, somebody putting together a list uh, at the end. They had, they had a little bit of fun, a little tongue in cheek right there. I think. You know, it 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 kind of smacks of the NCAA committee and some of the first round matchups that they engineer sometimes. So, Wade, you are familiar with the the movie The Rookie, former Tampa Bay reliever Jim Morris breaking into the majors at 35. Mm-hmm. Well, we Buckle might up. be we might be in line for a sequel. There is an article on MLB.com about a 42-year-old guy hitting triple digits on the gun. Triple digits? Triple digits. 101 to be exact. 42-year-old Rob Semerano of New Jersey says he loves to throw and return to throwing on a regular basis after some, uh, well, got a divorce. And so to try to get himself back, you know, in a in a good frame of mind, he just started a throwing routine. And he pitched. He was um, – he was hitting 96 miles an hour in 2004 when he was supposed to get drafted out of Fordham, and then he um, hurt himself. So, still been in love with the game, continued to throw, and hitting triple digits has been worked out by at least one major league team and has gotten interest from a couple of others. So... 42 years old. Sounds nuts, doesn't it? Yeah, and if uh, the MLB doesn't work out, obviously uh, some local uh, county fairs, I think he could certainly, or some, you know, <laughs> go to the minor league games and uh, try and guess your your accuracy on, the, or if you can break 70, I th- feel like he's got that in the bag, no doubt. He can at least make a little side money. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, he was a 20th round pick of the A's, but um... – tore rotator cuff had some other injury issues and never never really panned out but you know be interesting to keep an eye on i guess um 42 said he mows his own uh grass around his mound in his backyard which i which i definitely appreciate (laughs) former white Sox infielder tim anderson apparently has signed a one-year five million dollar deal with the marlins He was a batting champion in 2019, bottomed out last year, hit 245, really mm. struggled, and um, I guess needed to get away from Chicago at this point. So we'll see how that works out with him in the NL East with the Marlins. So, Wade, I believe that's going to wrap us up for this Thursday. I think we've done about all the damage we can do. So We threw um, it back as hard as we could throw it back. There we go. So let's get out of here. Let's get ready for the Friday edition, the weekend update edition of Main Street Sports today. We will be back here at 2 o'clock. We will be in the Lee Company studio, and we will be brought to you by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Be sure and join us at 2. See you then.